Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. And so we're going to continue in a series that we started last week called After God's Heart. And we looked at, uh, the, we're looking at the life of David. And we, we pulled the passages of scripture where uh, the Bible refers to David as a man who was after God's heart. That, that he desired to please the Father. That he wanted to, to live a life that, that touched the heart of the Father. And, and, and we all know that David didn't live a perfect life. David sinned. We, we know of David's mistakes with Bathsheba. We know uh, of the, the murder and cover up of Uriah. We know the issues that took place even within his home and, and, and some of the things that he, he did there. But it, So it shows that being after God's heart isn't about being perfect and being sinless. It's about how you respond when you sin. It's about how you interact and deal with people. And we're going to look at things through that. Last week we looked at David's interactions with Saul. That even though David had been anointed to be king, that he didn't take the throne. Even when other people were telling him, uh, you know, Saul's chasing after him with an army of 3,000 people and, and, and trying to murder him. And people are telling him, now this is your time. God has, has delivered your enemy into your hands. He refused to, to take uh, measures into his own hands and, and still honored King Saul and still served under him and, and spared his life on multiple occasions uh, to, to uh, show really that he trusted God, that, that he knew that if God had anointed him and if God had spoken that one day that he would be king, that it wasn't something that he had to take into his own hands to make it happen, but he fully trusted in God. And this week we're going to look at uh, uh, another characteristic that we see in the life of David and, and, and that's, you see connected to the, his dependence upon God that any time that David was making a decision, he didn't just go with what he thought was best. David took time, and there is a phrase that you will see over and over and over in Scripture when it refers to David, and it says this, is David inquired of the Lord. And so we're going to look at that real quick uh, of some of the places we see this. One of the places is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 7. Uh, it says that David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Uh, so Abathar brought uh, the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this band, and shall I overtake them? Verse 8 says, and he answered him and said, pursue, and, and you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely uh, uh, rescue. And, and you look, the minute he gets the instructions of what he should do, what does it say? David set out. 
David began to, to move. He didn't, he, once, once God had spoken, it wasn't something that he needed uh, to fast about more, to, to, to get a whole lot more. Like God spoke it and he began to move. He, he, he brought in the priest and, and the ephod, he inquired of the Lord, and then he moved into action. First Samuel chapter 23 is another uh, scenario. And it's actually, it's multiple times that we see David inquire of the Lord. In verse 2, it says, therefore David inquired to the Lord, shall I go up and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah, which was a city there. And, and so here again, he, he, he asks God, God gives him the instruction and he begins to move. In verse four, it says again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, arise and go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hands. And so he, he gets instructions. He begins to move. This, right after this, again, David doesn't just uh, uh, go through his life making decisions on what he feels is best or what's best practices or anything. But David uh, asks God again in, second, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 23 later. He hears that Saul is out to, to get him. And so he had just rescued this city of Keilah. He had just delivered them and fought for them to, to defend them against the Philistines. And so he's, he's in the city and, and he's kind of hiding out. And then he prays and he's like, God, should I stay in this city or are these people going to turn me over into the hands of the Philistines? And God says, you got to get up out of here because they're going to turn you over. Like, it, it, it's amazing. Like, he, he just set them free and delivered them and did all these things for them. And how quickly when they're under pressure and they see King Saul coming and circumstances aren't the, the condition that they want, how quickly they instantly begin to turn on the person who just helped them they, they, and rescued them and, and, and brought deliverance to them. And now they're going to turn them over. And so God says, you got to get out of there. you got to hide because they're going to turn you over uh, to King Saul. If you notice, David didn't take it for granted. He sought God on every decision uh, of what battle he went into, when he went into the battle, all of those things. Even in this situation, he didn't even take it for granted that, that these people, I, I help bring deliverance. Of course they're going to hide me when somebody comes out. Of course they're going to defend me when, they, when my enemy comes after me. He asked God and he said, God, I need you to show me. He didn't take it for granted that he knew what God. This is something that even as a church, that, that there are, are things that we, we've talked about this over the past couple of years. We've made major changes within the church of, of how we do uh, church ministry and, and slowing up on, on some of the huge events and, and things. Because a lot of those things were things we were trained. A lot of those things were things that we were taught. But when we begin to really seek God, like, God, what is it that you want your church? How is it that you want your church to look? We begin to realize that the church in Acts looks a whole lot different than the church that we see in America today. And so there was a lot of changes. There was a lot of things that we did. And now every step of the way as we're doing this, we're praying and asking, God, show us. God, lead us. God, it, you know, we're not just trying to assume. Even, even when it came to do VBSs and stuff, that was something we did every single year. 
But we begin to pray, okay, God, is there anything in this that you want to change? And he said, yes, I want you to take it to the streets. I want you to go into the communities, and, and I want you to, to go. And, and so we've been going in and, and, and setting up block parties in different communities and stuff, taking churches into those communities, which is what it looks like in the book of Acts. So it should have been the way that we did it. But until we started realizing that there were some things that we were doing just because that was the way we were taught that they were supposed to be doing. Like, I, I think all of us at some point in time, we get caught in routine and rhythm and we forget to ask God whether our routine or rhythm is right. And it's important that we, that we do that. And then when God speaks, it's also important that we, we make the changes necessary to do what he tells us to do. David later, there's a particular story where God gives him an instruction one time and then turns around and gives him a completely different instruction. And this time it's in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 5. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against these Philistines? Come on, how many times is he going to fight the Philistines? Like It's like they just keep coming back. And, and David keeps having victory over them, but yet David doesn't assume just because I've beat them all these other times that I'm going to beat them again. He still takes the time to pray, God, is this even a war or a battle that you want me to be involved in? I think sometimes there are a lot of battles and wars that would be presented to us that if we would take the time to say, God, is this something you want me to engage in? God would say, stand down, don't engage. And we would save ourselves a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of carnage that goes on. But we run straight ahead and engage because we assume that we know. David didn't assume that he knew what it was. Again, he's already defeated the Philistines. Will, will you give them, uh, he, it says, will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said, go up because I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David went to Belperazam and David defeated them there. Okay, God gives him victory again. And then two verses later, in verse 22, it says, the Philistines came again and spread out over the valley of Rephim and, 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 and they're coming to attack again. Like the Philistines obviously do not get this. Like they have been defeated time and time again and they just keep coming. They, they just keep coming again. And again, you would think David just defeated them and God just told him, go ahead, I'm gonna defeat them. And, and he does, again, he doesn't just assume, but it says that David inquired again of the Lord. And it's a good thing that he did because David gets a completely different battle plan this time than what God had given him before. Every other time when he's fighting the Philistines, he says, go straight ahead and take them on because I'm going to give them to you. This time, he says, you shall not go up, but instead I want you to go around to the rear and I want you to come again uh, against them uh, opposite of the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, 
Then rouse yourself, for the Lord your God has gone out before you to strike out the army of the Philistines. Completely different. Don't, I don't want you to engage with them head on. I want you to go around the side. And I don't want you to move until you hear the sound of marching in trees. Now, I don't know about you. I've grown up in West Virginia most of my life. I've been out in the woods a lot. But I have never heard the sound of marching in the trees. I've heard some rustling in the trees. I've heard some whistling in the trees. I've heard tree branches cracking and stuff from squirrels and and different animals running through the trees. But I have never heard marching in the trees. Have any of you ever heard marching in the trees? This seems, it's amazing how many times God's instructions seem a little bit crazy. And it's like, hold on, wait, what? You want me to, I'm going to hear marching in the trees. Am I hearing that right? Like, it says, David didn't question it. It says, David did as the Lord commanded. And he struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezar. He defeated them. A battle that he had already won time and time again. Every time he's coming to this battle, he doesn't assume that this is what he's supposed to do. He doesn't assume that he knows exactly how to, how to respond and, and all of that. He, he doesn't read a, a, the, the latest leadership book or listen to the latest leadership podcast or anything to try to figure these things out. He goes to God. How many times in our life do we go to every source but God to try to find the answer to our questions? And I don't think there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel. We're going to talk about that here in a minute, that that is a biblical thing. But you better make sure that one of the people that you are seeking out or the first person that you are seeking out opinion or insight over the situation is God. You see the parallel, the, the differences in between David and Saul. Saul was... Completely different. Saul is in a, a, a situation in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13 where the, the Philistines are coming up against him. And, and, and he had been given instructions to wait for Samuel for seven days. And Samuel was supposed to come and make a sacrifice. And after seven days, uh, uh, he's waiting around for Samuel to come. And, and, and the, you know, he's not there yet. And, and now the, the, the army of the Philistines looks like it's getting bigger and bigger. It looks like the situation is getting worse and worse. And his people are becoming fearful. And all the people that are with them are starting to hide in caves. They're starting to, to walk away from the battle. They're, they're starting to move and starting to run. And there's something inside of Saul that's like, wait a minute, this whole instruction on wait for Samuel... I I can't wait anymore. If I don't do something now, I'm not going to have an army. Their army's getting bigger. My army's getting smaller. And fear began to settle into Saul to where Saul, uh, he goes and he makes the sacrifice. And right at the time that he makes the sacrifice, guess who shows up? Old Samuel. He's like, what have you done?
And he tells him, God has rejected you as being king. And your kingdom will be taken and given to another. Why? Because he did what, what he felt he had to do. He didn't stand on the word of God and the instructions. He was moved by his feelings. He was moved by what he saw. He was moved by fear. And he even tells Samuel, he says, well, you didn't show up when you were supposed to and the people were leaving. So like he's not taking ownership for anything that he did. You didn't show up. The people, they were scared and they were leaving. So I felt compelled to have to offer the sacrifice. And God essentially tells him, because you were moved by your feelings versus moved by my word, you can't leave my kingdom anymore. And it cost him the kingdom. You see, the problem with Saul is Saul didn't have people that were speaking into his life. The only thing that Saul had was his thoughts and his emotions that were leading him. That's why he, he goes and chases after David. That's why he, he does those things. If, if Saul would have had advisors, if Saul would have had people who had his best interests at heart and was listening to them, then, then when Saul uh, is going to chase after David, they're going to tell him, Saul, why would you chase after David? Like, he's been your armor bearer. He's fought battles for you. He, he's... he's come and played every opportunity you threw a spear at him one day and he showed up for work the next day he didn't try to take your life don't you remember the first time when you were on your potty break and he spared your life why are we chasing after David again he could have taken your life then but he didn't and then when Saul did have people speak into his life, he had, he had a priest that, that spoke into his life one time, and he didn't even listen to them. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, you remember last week I told you about how Saul went in, David had been helped by the priests in the city of Nob, and, 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 and they had given him food and, and things. And so Saul hears about this, and he shows up in the city of Nob, and, and he's talking to Ahimelech, the priest, and it says, Ahimelech said to the king, who is uh, of all your servants is as loyal as David is? He's the king's son-in-law. He's the captain of your bodyguard. And, and he's highly respected in your household. Saul is, is telling him, you shouldn't have helped him. Why would you help him? You're my enemy and everything. And he's like, hold on, wait. He's your son-in-law. He's the captain of your bodyguard. He has always been loyal to you. Why would I not help him? He's always been there for you. And he says, was that the, the first time that I inquired of the Lord for him? Of course not. It wasn't the first time that he came to me and asked for help. Why? Because David was always pursuing what the heart of God was. He, that's why he said earlier in that passage, uh, it said that he asked for Ahimelech and asked Ahimelech to bring him the ephod. So this wasn't the first time that he had went seeking the will of God and seeking help and instruction. He's like, of course not. So let not the king accurse, uh, accuse your servant and any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about the whole affair. 
Like, I don't know what drama is going on in the king's palace right now. The only information that I have is David has always been loyal to you. The only information that I have is David has always fought for you. David has always defended you. So by me helping David, I thought I was helping you. But look at Saul's response. The king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And King Saul had every one of the priests killed. There was one of them who got away and was able to go spend time. He ran straight to David and told David what happened. That's Saul's response when he's confronted with things. Saul's response was to, to the only person who confronted him in his life was Samuel and, and, and this priest. And Saul's response with Samuel was to make excuses. And Saul's response with this priest was just to completely ignore the information that he had. But David, on the other hand, when David sins with Bathsheba, he has a prophet named uh, Nathan that, that comes to him. And Nathan comes to him and he's, Tells him a story. Like he doesn't just bust up in there and, and accuse the king of anything. He says, hey, I, I've got a story I need to tell you. There was this rich man and he had all kinds of lambs and he had all kinds of possessions and everything. And then there was this poor man and he only had one lamb. And this little lamb was like his, his puppy. Like he, he, he slept with him. He ate in his house. It, it, it was like he slept at the foot of his bed, all of these things. And then this rich man had some people coming in and, and he didn't want to kill any of his lambs. So he took the one lamb from this poor man and he killed that lamb and had it killed. And David was mad. David was enraged. David was said, well, this man ought to die. Who would do this? This is horrible. And Nathan just looked at David and said, you're that man. Now, he doesn't have any weapons. Nathan's not a warrior. Nathan's not anything. Nathan is, is a prophet of the Lord. He's somebody who represents God, and he's is speaking to him. And at this point, David was powerful enough to kill Nathan the same way that Saul had killed the, the priests. But when he's confronted, David repents. And David, I, I have sinned. And David is broken. You see, whether we can trust leaders and whether God can trust us as leaders is not about do we pray, but when we pray and we find out it's our fault, what do we do? Do we just stand around and make excuses? Or do we repent? And David repents, and God doesn't take the throne from him. God doesn't raise up people to try to take the throne from him. God forgives him and moves on. 
And it's important for us. Like, the reason why David received this type of of response from others is because when David is being chased by King Saul in in 1 Samuel 24, you remember he approached him and he said, I I haven't been, I, 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 I haven't put my hand against you. I had the opportunity. Here's the corner of your robe. I could have taken your life. And he didn't. And then as soon as he gets done, remember I said that Saul even apologized. Saul said, you are a better man than I am. I shouldn't have come against you. I should have realized that you wouldn't do this thing. And you know what David did? He forgave him and moved on. Because repentance was enough for them to issue the forgiveness. And to move on. And that's what it was with God. David, because he was willing to release forgiveness, David received forgiveness. And God didn't come in and try to destroy or take his kingdom like he did with King Saul. Saul made excuses. David repented. Saul lost his kingdom. David inherited his. How do we respond when we're confronted with our own, do we repent and move on? Or do we stay there and make excuses? But you see, David continually, he allowed people to speak into his life. You know, these two principles are things that as a church, we have consistently tried to do. And one of the biggest things that we do, if you look out here on the, the wall in our Mount Hope campus, you'll see the, the stones of remembrance and things that we have there. And the majority of the, the bigger decisions and stuff that you have, not only will you see the, the things that happen, but you will see the scriptures that came along with it as to the, the word of God that we received. Every time we would come and pray for a place to have land or, or pray for do we, do we take on this building, do we do this, do we, do we start a school, do we do this, and God would give us scriptures and everything. Every decision that we have, we have inquired of the Lord, and then when he has spoken, we begin to take the steps toward it. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when it wasn't on our radar. I'm, I'm just be 100% honest. Mount Hope Christian Academy was never on my radar. But it was on God's. And when God began to speak and God began to confirm and God began to instruct that this is what we were supposed to do, then we began to move in that. We, we I talked with elders, we talked with leaders about it and we got instruction, we got information and made our decisions and began to move. So we've inquired of the Lord, but the other thing that we have understand is that you, you need other people that are around. I can tell you this. I Heart Church is not successful because I come up with the most amazing plans and things. And, you know, probably the majority of the things that are really successful is somebody around me told me, hey, I think you need to pray about doing these things. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that where there is no guidance that people fall. But in the abundance of counselors that there is great safety. And so as a church, we have people who 
speak into our lives. As a church, I have a board of overseers, which are senior pastors who speak into my life. Uh, you know, Pastor Mark Sturmer, uh, Pastor Michael Durso, uh, Gene Mills, and, and Joe Martin, all of them have been here and spoken at different times uh, in the history of the church. Those are, are people that, that watch over me, that, that correct me, that, that challenge me, that, that if, I'm, if I'm praying about things and I don't know how to handle or I don't know how to turn, then I talk to them and they give me advice and they they oversee me it's kind of like in scripture how how uh Paul and Timothy had a relationship like they're Paul's in my life to speak into a young Timothy to help make right decisions and and handle situations right but we don't just have that we have pastors and we have elders that are in the church that that give insight and and I know a lot of times we don't talk about our elders. I know a lot of churches are more elder ran and all that type of thing. And, and we don't talk about them as much, but, but they're, they're, they're present and they're behind the scenes and, and, and they're playing bass in and, and different situations. So I want you guys to see some of the leaders and pastors that I lean heavily on when we're making decisions. And so you guys can come on up. Uh, uh, we, uh, and as they get up here, I mean, everybody knows Pastor Q. Come on, Melody. Uh, uh, pastor Q is, is one that he's the campus pastor here. And so there, there's not a week that we're not praying and talking together and, and about what we need to do as a church, as a, in ministries, talking about different situations that are going on in the church. Same thing with Summersville. Pastor Chris, we connect on a weekly basis talking about things in Summersville and, and like even there's things that God has laid on Pastor Chris's heart that you guys are getting ready to take on in August with the STEM events and things like that. That wasn't something that was on my heart. That was something that God began to speak to Pastor Chris and he came to me and he was like, what do you think? Is this something that we need to get into? And, and he showed me all the scripture and he showed me how God had already been providing. And I was like, yes, let's do it. And I believe that event is going to be a major event that's going to impact that community. And you see Pastor Melody up a lot. You know, when we were called to plant a church, it wasn't just me that had a calling of God to plant this church. She had to leave family and home and everything to come up and, 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 and be a part of this. this. This isn't just a dream that was in my heart. This was a dream that's been in our heart. To have a church that would impact the nation. There's many times that, that I'm being a knucklehead and she says, Brandon, you might not want to do that. Come on, all you, all you husbands, you, you've got the same thing too. It's just we don't always listen as well as maybe we should. But there's not a time that I preach a sermon that I don't walk down here and either grab Q or Melody and say, is there anything that I need to change? Was there something that came across wrong? How do you feel? Do you think it came across right and everything? Why? Because I don't even want to get it. If I accidentally say something that could be perceived in a wrong way, I know that they've got my back and they want to make, they know my heart and they want to make sure that I say it correctly. And so, yeah, I, I asked them, I talked to them. Same thing with Chris. I'm asking him and talking to him about things. And then our elders are Spence, uh, Spencer Farr is the, the Summersville campus elder. He, he's, he's Pastor Chris's right-hand man there, always, you know, watching over things, praying for Pastor Chris, looking out for things, listening and, and everything to things that are going on so that we can make the best decisions about 
Summersville campus and the things that go on there. And then Jay, y'all only see him up here playing bass. But I'm telling you, Jay has been massive in our worship team and the development of our worship team and, and things. His, his father was a, a, a pastor, and so he knows all the behind-the-scenes things of church world and everything. And, and when Pastor Travis moved on to take the outreach position at that other church, and him and Carrie went and, and began to do the outreach and ministry and stuff there, Pastor Jay has stepped up majorly to help lead the worship team and things in that area where we didn't even have to, as a church, hire a full-time worship pastor a lot because of what Pastor Jay and some others have done as far as taking responsibility. He's been there to help lead those teams. And then Pastor Jeremy, y'all just see him at the door greeting. At the front door. But Jeremy is somebody that over the years I've consistently went to, hey, what do you think about this? What do you, what do you think about this? Hey, this is coming up. I need you to pray about it. And, guys, this isn't the only group of people that we have. They, Denise and Richard, they, they, they're constant. I, I'll text them all. I need you to be praying about this. We're, we're making some decisions. I need you to begin to pray about these things. Because we realize that if it's one person making decisions, we're going to get way off track real quick. But when you've got a group of people that are seeking God's will, then it, it brings steadiness and it brings strength. And I'm telling you guys, if you have questions about anything, come ask one of these guys. If you don't feel like you can approach me for some reason, come grab one of them. Because there's not a decision that I make about the church that I don't, I'm not at least meeting with some of them and talking about. Because I realize there is, there is safety, there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And we are blessed as a church to have this group of people. And now Jeremy Farley isn't here today, but Jeremy Farley is another one. That has grown up in church. His mom was a pastor. He grew up in a ministry family. And he knows the good things and the bad things in ministry. He runs all of our outreach programs and everything. I mean, just huge and phenomenal blessing to the church in the way that he serves. And I just, I'm telling you guys, like we understand these principles. When we make a decision, we, we talk about what we think is best. And then every meeting, what do we do? Let's go pray about this. Tell me what God shows you. Show me the scripture that God tells you. Because we want to be a church that inquires of the Lord. We don't want to be walking down a path that's leading us in the wrong way. And so I want you guys, pray for them. Pray for us. If you think we're making horrible decisions, pray for us. I promise we're not doing it on purpose. We didn't set out to say, who can we offend today and who can we make mad and how can we tear this thing apart? We cry out before God for every decision and seek God's will for this. Thank you, guys. You can go to bed. Can I tell you something? Even God 
used counsel. And I know that that sounds kind of crazy. God asking people what to do. God seeking counsel. Like one, look in Genesis 11. You'll see where he, at the Tower of Babel, he talks about let us go down. Let us confuse. Like he's talking about the Godhead. He's talking about this, this spirit there. But God even asked man. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 17, it says, The Lord said, Shall we hide from Abraham what we are about to do? Should we, should we just go and do what we want to do and not tell anybody about it? Abraham, he's going to be a mighty nation. We're going to raise him up. He's going to be powerful. Let's let him in on a secret and and he tells him he's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, Lord, I, I don't want to argue with you about anything or anything, but, but if I can ask you a question, can I ask you a question, please? And God said, okay. What if there are 50? You wouldn't destroy the, the ungodly or the godly with the ungodly. What if there are 45? What if there are 40? What if there are 30? What if there are 20? What if there are 10? All the way down. And Abram, God said, okay, if I find 10 people, I'll spare this city. God was going to do total destruction. But when he asked, I can't hide this from Abram. Abram began to ask him. And God ended up sparing his nephew and, and his daughters. This isn't the only time. You're like, Pastor Brandon, you can't make a doctrine out of one, one thing. The second time is in Exodus chapter 32. God comes to Moses and says, I am done with these people. They are stiff-necked. I'm done. Verse 9. I have seen this people. It is a stiff-necked people. They stubborn. Therefore, leave me alone. Let my wrath burn against them so that I can consume them in order that I might make a, a mighty nation out of you. Moses, these people that have been a pain in your rear since you started leading them out of Exodus, that have questioned you, that have come against you, that have attacked you, let me destroy them. I'll start over with you. There's a bunch of pastors that would be like, yes, Lord, let it be. Amen. There's probably some ministry leaders who would be like, yes, Lord, give me a new team. Wipe these all out. You know, just... It says, but Moses implored of the Lord and said, oh Lord, don't let your wrath burn against your people. Notice he, he, he's, it's your people. You have brought, uh, that you have brought out of Egypt with the great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger and, and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember Israel. Remember your promises, God, to whom you swore by your own self. And you said to them, I will multiply the offspring of the stars and they would be the stars of heaven. And all this land I will give to your offspring and they will inherit it forever. And then verse 14, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken. Now you can get into a whole debate over whether he really changed God's mind or, or whatever. I, I, I think it, it's, there's part of it that, 
God wanted to see if they had his heart for the people. If he could trust them with greater things. And so he came to them and said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to wipe some people out. He's like, no, 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 you gotta spare it. What, what about you? What about how people think about you? What about all these things? And they begin to intercede for him. But the fact of the matter is this, that every single one of us, we need to be people who inquire of the Lord over the decisions that we make. We need to be people who seek godly counsel and that doesn't necessarily have to be a pastor, but that needs to be somebody who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You see, David didn't listen to anybody. David didn't just listen to anybody. He, he had to tell Abishai and his men, this is not what God is saying. And I think it's very important that when you get counsel from people, that you filter it through the word of God. And what, that, what Abishai was saying is you need to kill this man and you need to take revenge. But David knew that you're not supposed to kill. You're not, that, that, that wasn't the heart of God and he wasn't gonna take things into his own hand. And so he easily could say, that is not God. I'm not listening to that. When you pick those people that you trust, you need to be able to distinguish whether their counsel is from God and according to his word, or the counsel is from the enemy. Because you'll read other places in scripture where entire armies of people or of prophets would say, you gotta do this. And God would send a true prophet and say, no, 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 that ain't it. There's even one place where a king says, don't, don't ask for that Micaiah guy. He never prophesies any good, anything good to me. All these prophets said it's okay, so I'm gonna do it. But what those prophets were saying was from a lying spirit that was trying to lead them away. Before you yield to advice, Filter it through the word. If it is telling you to do anything that God has already clearly spoken about in his word, do not listen. Because God will never tell you to do anything that is in disagreement with what his word already has said. I want you to bow your head for just a second. I want you to just ask God, God, what are you speaking to me today? I think for some people it's a, just a call of God, just calling to your heart, just saying, can you, can you ask me about how to handle What's going on with your kids right now? Can you ask me about how to handle your next business decision? Can you not just move with what seems best to the eyes and what looks best in the moment, but will you ask me? Will you not just go with what you've always done? But if I wanna call an audible and change things up a little bit, 
Because here's the thing, we want God to change our lives. We want God to bless our lives. We want God to do things, but we wanna do the same thing that we've always done and ask God to bless it. Maybe the blessing is on another path and if we would veer off of what we've always done and get on the right path, the blessing will overtake us. Versus insisting, this is what I've always done. This is what we're gonna do. Maybe some of you have Avishai's in your ear. And you need to turn and say, I am not putting my, I'm not doing that. Because you can see that it's not God's will. Father God, I just pray over every person that's watching, whether they're in this room, the Summersville campus, online, nursing homes, watching by TV, listening over the radio, wherever they may be joining in. Father, I just pray you just begin to speak to their hearts. God, you know what's in every one of our hearts. God, you know the, the people and the voices that are in our life. God, if there's any voice that we're giving ear to, that we need the silence, then God, I just pray that you will reveal it to us, God. God, if there's a pride of feeling like we already know and we know everything and we don't have to change and, and all of those things, God, just reveal that to us, God. Because God, your word says that you oppose the pride, you resist the pride, but you give grace to the humble. God, I just pray that we will have the humility to inquire of the Lord, that we will have the humility to seek godly counsel. And God, that we will have the humility that just like David, when he heard what your plan was, he activated and began to move in your plan. That when you told him to wait, he waited. God, I pray against that that Saul inside of us that would move by fear and, and want to take things into our own hands and, and, and want to move and, and then make excuses for it. God, let us have the humility of repentance that if we realize that we've done something wrong, then we will repent. But God, I pray also that we will have that humility of forgiveness that David did in the cave, that when Saul repented, that he released forgiveness toward him. And you continue to protect him for the rest of his life. And you called him a man after your own heart. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.